Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. This week we're joined by our lovely colleague Barbara Speed. Hello. Very excited to be here. Good. <laughs> We've had loads of emails this week in for Bridget who asked us for recommendations for coming of age, I've left university and don't know what I'm doing with my life films for her sister who is at that point in her life. Yeah, and lots of you have piled in with great choices, stuff like Mistress America mm-hmm. and Garden State and Appropriate Behaviour. Uh, lots of you have been adding us on Twitter to tell you. We've been retweeting them. So if you want to see any of the others, go to at SRSLYpod on Twitter and they're all there. I would add Obvious Child, which is a bit controversial because it's all about abortion, but it is great. Because, that is a brilliant yeah, film. It's I love so funny. Movie. It's so great. And actually, haven't we reviewed... I feel like we've done that on the podcast before. We did really early yeah. on. I think it was one of our first recommendations yeah. to yeah. each other. You're a big fan of appropriate behaviour as well, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. We've also had a bit of feedback on last week's discussion about male-female friendships in film, TV, pop culture, etc. Marie-France gets in touch to give us a slight correction on the matter of Ugly Betty. She says that it was heavily implied in the last season that Betty and Daniel do get together in the end. I do think that this was fan pandering, not what the writers of the show originally intended for the characters, but she's right, it does kind of slightly ruin the idea that Ugly Betty is a show about (laughs) a platonic male-female friendship. (laughs) Undermines our point somewhat. So thanks very much for the correction. I also had an email in from Amy who wanted to suggest a particularly... um, Ernest Hugh Bonneville. Uh, we are big fans of the Ernest Hugh Bonneville. Yeah, as listeners will know. She says, HBO series Gallivant features Hugh Bonneville as a terribly, terribly earnest pirate captain. He sings. It's fabulous. See, now, this email connects so many dots for me because I've seen so many gifs on Tumblr of Hugh Bonneville and other famous male actors dressed in sort of medieval-y type garb in a forest, generally looking a bit kind of wassail, hi-ho type thing. <laughs> and I had no idea what the fuck it is. <laughs> so well, now you know. Now I know. It is Gallivant and he's a pirate captain. It all makes sense. Insert the more you know gif. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <definitely. laughs> 
I also had an email in from Rachel and Barbara, you might be able to help us out with this one. Um, she says, I wondered if you could give some time to discuss the disaster that is the BBC shutting down the recipe section of its website. You sort of wrote about this last week, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, it has to be said the BBC made a real mess out of this whole thing because they announced that they were shutting it down. They were then like, oh no, wait, we're not shutting it down, we're archiving it. Everyone was like, what is archiving? They kind of didn't reply. What it seems <laughs> like it is happening is the website will still be up as will the 11,000 recipes. If you already have a link to one, you're completely fine. You can still access it, no problem. It'll be harder to search for them on on Google, which I do agree is kind of a tragedy if you want to just Google Great Lasagna BBC. However, they've now said that most of the recipes will be going to BBC Good Food, which is a commercial website which will still be running. So, BBC crossed. Good Food, I feel like, is, go. the, is the main home of recipes on the BBC, right? Yeah, I agree. And also the BBC Food website, a lot of it is user-submitted recipes, which is great, it's fine, but all those kind of Mary Berry or whatever recipes, that's not really what that mm. site is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's a lot of confusion around the definition and there. there will still be like if you're watching the nigella series on at the time yeah you'll still be able to get the recipe you've seen her do for as long as the programs are on iplayer yeah exactly so yeah you are losing a bit of an archive or a bit of a searchable database but i think that they're going to make up for it in other areas brilliant Phew. stuff thank god Phew, thank god yeah. yeah for all the times <laughs> that you're in the supermarket and you realize that you don't actually know how to make a thing that you said yeah. you would make and you google on your phone how make lasagna and it, <laughs> and it tells you how boil egg yeah so rachel also says that she thought maybe listeners could share their favorite bbc recipe related stories which is super niche but if any of you have any like yeah if any of you have any great stories like the one i just told about being in the supermarket and not knowing how to make lasagna please get in touch seriouslypod at gmail.com seriouslypod on facebook and elsewhere anyway on with the show the first thing we're going to talk about this week is love nina which is a television adaptation of a published collection of letters by nina stipp who was a nanny to lrb editor Mary K. Wilmers's children in the 1980s. With a script written by Nick Hornby, it fictionalises Stibbs' glimpse into the literary London scene of that time. Dear Vic, my news is that, unexpectedly, I'm a living nanny for a single mum with two boys in North London. Nina, would you actually like children? Boys! Well, if I didn't, it'd be a silly time to say so, wouldn't it? I think I might be happy here. Even though the best-looking boy in the street already thinks I'm hopeless. It wasn't my finest hour as a nanny. Crabs, crabs, crabs! From Oscar-nominated writer Nick Hornby. Love, Nina. On BBC One. Basically, it's sort of like a dramatised version of what happens in the letters that Nina Stibbs wrote at that time. But they've had to make lots of changes, haven't they? Because her collection of letters names specific individuals like Mary Kay Wilmers and Alan Bennett. And in this adaptation, they've sort of had to anonymise those portrayals, haven't they? Yeah, and it's frustrating in larger extents to do with one particular character, aka Alan Bennett. So I feel like the character of Georgia that Helena Bonham Carter plays, who is the Mary Kay Wilmers, the editor, the mum of the children that Nina looks after, she's fine, you know, she is mostly what we imagine Mary Kay Wilmers was yeah, like in I the think 80s. Mary Kay Wilmers, I feel like most people I know would know who she is. Yeah. She's like fairly distinctive as the LRB editor. She's got like a fairly well-known reputation. If you don't know her, she's sort of like a mini Anna Winter, but with yeah. books. Yeah. But so. that's why I think you lose something in this, that there's they kind of say she's a magazine editor, but I think what's so great about the book is you have this contrast between this character who you know is like formidable at work, mm. and yet in the series of letters, you see another side of her, it's more kind of personal. She's actually quite kind of nice and funny and 
I don't know if that's what she didn't like about the portrayal, <laughs> but um, but that's kind of the, the idea that you're behind the closed doors a bit, not really in a sordid way, but just in you really see these characters on like a day to day basis, and not knowing who they're meant to be kind of lets that down. Yeah. So it's the book. I haven't read the book. Barbara has. Caroline. You, I haven't. You haven't I don't know. Yeah. So would you say the book is basically like that scene in The Devil Wears Prada where you see Meryl Streep like at her house being more normal? Yeah, a bit. Yeah, but also because Nino in the letters is incredibly naive and very very funny accidentally and she said later that she really didn't edit them very much their letters that she literally sent her sister she tried to put them in order she might have got it a bit wrong um she's <laughs> always making mistakes about who people are so she's like oh this guy is a famous opera singer and then she's like he's not <laughs> but that she's this very naive kind of 20 year old who's never lived in london before she's suddenly in this kind of mad world which she doesn't really recognize as that impressive and all of that kind of tension is what makes it so funny and you feel proud of yourself for occasionally recognizing who someone is mm-hmm. so yeah as i said i think you do lose something from it just being about a family in london so the um, biggest objection to the book i think i'm right in saying came from alan bennett yeah. he really didn't like the way he was portrayed so as a result in the adaptation nick hornby has invented a scottish poet with a different name who is, quote, nothing like Alan Bennett to fulfil the same sort of role. The thing is, though, Alan Bennett's much nicer in the book than at least in this edit. In this edit, he's incredibly rude. He's horrible. Yeah, but he isn't Um, like Alan Bennett, is he? Like, it's not like they've given, they've decided to create an Alan Bennett character and give him a different name. They've got this sort of very rough and very blunt sort of gruff kind of guy, which is just not sort of... And he's almost quite sort of classist. So she's Mm. dinner with them, but she obviously is the nanny and she's made the dinner and he criticises it every single time. In the book, it's clearer that he's just kind of a bit eccentric and has certain preferences but in the TV show they make him just look like he's being unreasonable on purpose I know mm. this is like a tiny nuance yeah. but no I don't think it is a nuance though I yeah. think that the dynamic of that repeated scene of them having dinner is that he's trying to make her feel inadequate for her cooking because she's not mm. one of them mm-hmm. that's absolutely the vibe I got as well. yeah and she's also again more ditzy in this yeah no. I, I have a pet hate in this and I know that this is in the book as well but like showing someone with no shoes on as a shortcut for quirky is like <laughs> oh it's awful isn't it just yeah. like eats so the, my heart so the very first shots you get of Nina or her like walking along one of those kind of Georgian streets yeah with no shoes on it's actually the same road where Lady in the Van is set right because Alan Bennett the reason he, the reason his character quote is in their kitchen all the time is because he lives like just over the road. So Maggie Smith, the van, just for context, is just it's over the road. Just out of shot. Yeah. <laughs> the shoe thing also is taken from a single line in the book where she says, "Oh, I find it so hard to find shoes. I always wear plimsolls, but I feel like they're really childish. I go barefoot quite a lot of the time, which I suppose is better." But she obviously means in the house. In the house. She yeah. doesn't mean in the road. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I just and she like rubs oh. her dirty feet on her trousers as she like walks into this like sort of fairly <laughs> posh woman's house and it's mm. you know so i found that a bit much i also did not like the breaking of the fourth wall in the final shot where oh. she like posts a letter and the and the voiceover is like love nina and she like looks at the camera like hey that's me nina and you're <laughs> yeah. like oh she no. doesn't look like a, she's basically meant to be a teenager like yeah, or a, little, or like a little bit older and a student but she doesn't she sort of looks like, like she's a kind of like 30 year old mm. i don't know it doesn't it doesn't evoke what i had in my head at least which doesn't mean much mm. but and another objection I have, it's going to sound like I'm being really harsh on the programme, I did enjoy it, I did think it was funny, but I thought it was quite heavy-handed and quite kind of ha-ha-ha 
Whereas the book is really funny in a really kind of underplayed sort of way. And what is very strange, I don't know if maybe Nick Hornby didn't get the rights to do this fully or something, but she writes out full scenes of dialogue, which are hilarious and which kind of then appear in the TV show, but completely differently. Like I found a bit I really enjoyed just now where she writes down lots of stuff the children say and it's hilarious because they're quite clever kids, but they're also obviously still kids. So there's a bit where Sam says, I like people with higgledy faces. And Will says, what? Like Picasso. And Sam says, I've never seen him. <laughs> and you're just like, how could you not include that? And that's, so that's from a bit that we've already passed over in the TV series. It just didn't include it. Oh, that's such um, a shame. And I just, I just had her ear for dialogue, even at that age, was obviously brilliant. But mm. they just ignore it all. Yeah. So was there anything that you were like, actually, they did do that well? I thought the kind of the, the whole thing with the the man with the crabs is really funny yeah. and that she is kind of staring at him and makes him wash his hands and like that that is quite relatable so and quite this is good. a sort of subplot where one of two Jamies who live on the same street gossip has it that he has crabs but she doesn't know which Jamie it is she's trying to work it out one of them comes over and starts making himself fry up in the kitchen and she makes him wash his hands because she's worried about getting crabs on the pots or something then later there's a scene, one of those scenes at the dinner table, where she's trying to relate to the adults, to Georgia and, quote, Alan Bennett, what's happened without explaining to the children what crabs are. I'm kind of angry with Alan Bennett about this, actually, because I feel like, although Nick Hornby is not my favourite screenwriter, he is quite a good screenwriter. Mm-hmm. He has written some films that I think are good. So the fact that this adaptation is so weak, I think it's because he's had all kinds of problems with people like Alan Bennett withdrawing their permission to use their likeness or something, which I'm not sure of the legalities of. But I think if it's in Nina's book, then you're fine to adapt it from Nina's book. Presumably it's because National Treasure Alan Bennett doesn't like it. They're too afraid to displease him or something. So I think probably Nick Hornby's got this, rather than what would normally happen when you're a screenwriter, which you get a book to adapt and you get a whole book, he's effectively got a book with great big chunks ripped out of it. And he's had to try and make something out of that but also its purpose is kind of lost what I, what I think is so impressive is that it is a book where it is sort of running off the celebrity status of some of the people involved but that's not a point mm. but it does definitely but it creates that. a really good background for the yeah. domestic it's not stuff, like anything yeah. I've ever read really I just think it's such a, a good book so yeah. would you say to listeners who are thinking of watching the adaptation to check out the book instead I think they're actually so different that do both like if you enjoy kind of slightly sitcom humor or out, I thought it was a quite a bit like outnumbered mm-hmm. um in its setup then definitely watch the tv show because it is like a funny British comedy it's not very much like the book read the book as well How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. Feelings. Nothing more than feelings, feelings of love, you know that. Now we're going to talk about the history of the internet. This week on the New Statesman website, we've been running a series of articles that focus not on the technological developments that created the World Wide Web, but the personal stories of the lives people have lived online, from writing fanfiction to running web forums to using MSN Messenger. So Barbara, you've been in charge of this, you've been commissioning it, and it started off with a piece that I think will be of great interest to many seriously listeners, <laughs> which is Nick Hilton's piece about running a Harry Potter web forum. Or many. <laughs> yeah, many yeah. Harry Potter web forums. Yeah, it's a brilliant piece. Um, if you kind of described it to me, I'd be like, how could this be as funny as it actually is? But it's just a description of being a 13-year-old and loving Harry Potter. And then because you love Harry Potter, learning how to not only like use, but <laughs> code and run websites so that you can share your love with others. And there's a kind of a series of ones, which it's just him using them. And then he kind of strikes gold through a site called Trivia Dueling, where you can um, <laughs> ask each other questions about Harry Potter. But unfortunately, Unfortunately, he made the name not specific enough so people would rock up and talk about Lord of the Rings and he'd get very, very angry. <laughs> but yeah, it's so funny and it's such a symbol of this microcosm where actually people at these very young ages were doing this kind of fairly amazing stuff online. Yeah. But- then just kind of disappears. Yeah, I think it's so funny how the love of something so, well, not Harry Potter is obviously a bad example, but often something that is so, so niche can make you acquire all these like random skills and stuff. Yeah, for seriously listeners who might be interested in my personal life, Nick is my boyfriend. So it was really funny looking back at what like a nerdy teenager he was and like absolutely having my own things that were like very similar to that to compare it to. The fact that his big idea was trivia dueling when we just literally ask each other Harry Potter trivia questions day in day. Out. I love I love that bit. I was like, yeah, well, this is just what Nick and Anna are like now. So. <laughs> and not to be over earnest, but what I really liked about it, so we've had a few pieces of people talking about what they did as a teenager online, which includes that. We've had one kind of about sex and learning about female sexuality online. And I kind of like it that it's able to be divorced from this conversation of like, should teens be allowed on the internet? Is mm-hmm. it safe? Are they ruining their brains? And instead you just have these people who just have kind of really formed their personalities and formed all these kind of interests online. It's really nice. Well, it sort of follows this idea that for people who grew up around this time, so we're talking like early noughties onwards, really, mm-hmm. the internet was just a fact. Yeah. Whether the internet was not a good or bad thing, it was what happened on the internet. Yeah, it's was a potentially tool, good it's a bad. platform. Yeah. yeah, and I get now that, especially because you can have this unlimited access via smartphones, I think that's a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and I think we'll talk about more about that in a minute, but the kind of existence of it isn't good 
good or bad and mm. it did allow people of our generation but it did this ex- huge amount of freedom it did really. exist in this strange moment where 13 year olds like nick were better at the internet than most adults yeah mm-hmm. and it's so funny because i think about like tools that i use in my day-to-day job now like photoshop and social media and all these things which i began using because i was into fandom and because i wanted to like make a mighty boosh icon for my live journal i would mm. be like on photoshop figuring out how to do that and it's so funny to think that like anything sometimes your like weird geeky passions when you're a teenager lead you on to other stuff when you're an adult and i think that's something that's really coming across in this week the main article that we've all contributed to is this big conversation about msn messenger an msn chat about yes. MSN <laughs> so, <laughs> which was really fun to do meta the three of us and then Stephen Bush, our great colleague. And we were just talking about kind of how much time we spent on there and the fact that we really weren't saying anything at all. No. But that this was the total structure of our friendship groups. Like this was where you did your socialising. Like I don't, you get home from school and you'd go online and that was it. Yeah, and at like quarter past three when everyone was leaving school, it would be like, are you going to be on MSN tonight? That was like yeah. a question mm. people would ask each other at the school gates and then you would like literally take the 20 minutes or whatever it took to get home. Yeah. get out your computer and just be like online it always used to really torture me the fact that because i used to have music lessons on tuesday nights so i could never be on ever send on tuesday nights i mean like, i would always dread school on wednesday morning yeah. because i just think FOMO. i have no idea what's happened like who is even my friend anymore i don't know <laughs> everything could have changed and i won't i won't have been there how do i identify myself if not kazi alice <laughs> oh yes yeah, so one of my favorite things about this is we've all revealed our terrible msn usernames so mine was kazi underscore alice 1988 which i actually think is quite normal yeah that's pretty basic yeah that's pretty basic kazi is fun though it's like such a teen teen listeners if you want to annoy caroline just email in dear kazi (laughs) see this is the thing that literally no one called me that that was not a nickname i had but for some reason i wanted to make it happen so i made it my ms didn't we all want a weird nickname like that i mean Mm. i i was literally called a lesbian bitch when i was at school so (laughs) (laughs) which is an dark turn it's sort of a not very catchy riff on my surname supposedly but yeah no my msn name was insanely cheerful which i look back on and is cringeworthy in so many different ways <laughs> so um, i just don't see myself as that like super happy smiley person that i obviously thought i was at that age but also just like yep let's just mock mental illness a little <laughs> that's normal and fine mine well my hotmail at least uh, was princess in waiting which i still just don't understand why like i wasn't particularly girly i didn't like the royals even then don't know like no you idea. weren't really into the princess diaries or anything i was quite into those but like what's the point of that is that she doesn't like being a princess so the idea that i'm sitting here waiting for my (laughs) royal status to kind of pop up is ludicrous no princess yet Uh, still still in waiting (laughs) yeah another thing we talked about on there which was interesting was what we'd have been doing otherwise because obviously i think now Mm. we kind of agreed we'd probably be doing the same stuff but all the time and on whatsapp and snapchat and different platforms yeah there was Um, that piece that we found really weird didn't we from on buzzfeed that was like an actual teen describing her snapchat habits and it was like so all-consuming that it was really like Mm. hundreds of times a day and Mm -hmm. like she would just flick through taking selfies constantly Mm -hmm. and that sounds crazy but then looking back i'm like what i was doing was also really really excessive yeah Yeah. but i also think that it really filled in this funny trench where we were a generation that probably didn't get that much freedom in terms of going outside that we didn't necessarily live on a road with people our own age people from school probably traveled in from other places we didn't have that much to do 
They'd already so, been like sewer murders and that kind of yeah. stuff. There was already the kind of looming idea of child protection as a thing, mm-hmm. but it hadn't yet migrated onto the internet. Yeah, so exactly. That's where we yeah. Could be and we've probably been sitting in our houses quite a lot of the time otherwise. And Stephen made quite a good point, which is he said that he stopped using MSN partly because once he got to sixth form, the EMA grant meant that him and his friends just had a bit more money, would be allowed out of the house, so they'd actually go and do real stuff and <laughs> yeah, spend time together. Yeah, thing as life. well. Yeah. You, could, you were actually able to do stuff after mm. school. It wasn't like your mum would be there to pick you up you would be able to like make your own way home and you know these kinds of things so yeah i think it's partly an age thing but it's just bizarre to try and get back into that zone where you're like i actually just wanted to be talking to people about nothing for hours and hours and hours but i think a lot of the people i used to talk to on msn were friends who didn't go to my school but lived in the same town and we just used to endlessly talk about what they had for homework compared to what I had for homework. <laughs> so it's like, oh, what have you got for history? I've got this. Are you done your thing yet? No. Mm. That was it. But it's funny that it probably is quite similar to when, like, my mum or our parents would have just sat on their road, like, with their mates, like, yeah. maybe playing a game or something. But they would have been having those conversations as well. Like, it's mm-hmm. funny how things don't change, even as they apparently do change so the much. The interaction doesn't change. It's just the way yeah. you have it. Like, all kids are bored. That, that was just the thing that we did to yeah, stop yeah. feeling so bored. But it is an interesting question as to if we'd lived 30 years before, how you would have been doing it. So I reckon I would have been just writing all my boring thoughts in a diary because that's what I did before my family got the internet. So we need to tell listeners about Caroline's other diary oh, no. endeavour, which you've now made public so you <laughs> can... Oh yeah, so I had two diaries. I had one that I kept as me and then I had one that I kept as Hermione Granger. <laughs> oh, that is Which is so the best cute. thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Oh. And it was, it was very boring because I always loved the bits of the early Harry Potter mm. books the best when it was about like minor skirmishes over lessons and homework yeah, and agree. stuff like that and the, the sort of mechanics of how Hogwarts functioned as a school so I used to write about like what was their homework like in fourth year and what did you do if you were late with your homework and like could you go- it, oh, it was very cute. involved it's Hermione that on MSN is yeah. what she'd have been saying on MSN yeah great <laughs> So what else have we got in store for Internet Histories Week? So yeah, as I said, we've got um, something on sex online today. Very racy. We've got a really interesting piece on cyber feminism from Joanna Walsh, the author. And then Caroline is doing a very cool piece. Yeah, so I've been doing this survey about what different means of communication you associate with different people or different roles. For instance, it, it has already emerged in the data that we overwhelmingly use phone calls to talk to our parents, mm-hmm. but text messages to talk to our siblings, mm-hmm. for instance. I think that's reflected in the popular Twitter account, text from mum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're more likely to just text back and forth with your sister or brother Mm -hmm. than you are to try and do that with your mom Um, but also then just things like and I haven't properly done the breakdown by because one of the things I wanted to look at was also age group so does this kind of thing vary across age group? and it's very context driven like no one's ever hit upon a social network that people are willing to use forever mm-hmm. so i think part of it is like we don't add maybe work friends on facebook because frankly you do have photos of yourself when you were 11 yeah. <laughs> and look well like our colleague anoush has a really strict policy on yeah. this isn't it she will only add colleagues after she's moved on to a different place mm-hmm. of employment probably more and more people are coming around to that kind of hard rule about it so listeners if you have internet histories that you want to share you can get on the hashtag can't they is it hashtag internet histories and also email in to seriously as you would normally do we'd love to hit them Last week, I recommended that Caroline watch The Secret in Their Eyes, an Argentinian crime drama about the aftereffects of the brutal murder of a young woman, Liliana Colotto, over 25 years after her death. 
So what did you make of the secret in their eyes, Caroline? I'm just going to get it out there first off, in case I say it wrong later, that I am unable to say the name of this film correctly. (laughs) All week I've been telling people that I've been watching a film called Stars in Their Eyes. (laughs) Which is really different, for those who don't know. very different. Stars in the Eyes was like an ITV Saturday night entertainment show presented by Matthew Kelly, in which members of the public got to dress up as and then perform as their favourite pop star. It was really weird, actually. It was really, really weird, because sometimes they would wear like prosthetics and lots of, there were loads of wigs, and and often their actual performances were terrible, and it was more about the The look. The look. It's like, uh, it's, it's karaoke taken to its logical. Yeah. conclusion basically anyway that's not this anyway this, that's not this but this is what i've been telling people all week that i've been watching this film called yeah, Stars it's a Rise. lot darker it's a lot darker than that which is why the contrast is all the more ridiculous mm. because this is a film that you sold to me and i think you were absolutely right it's in the same vein as zodiac mm-hmm. that we talked about a few weeks ago in the it's a kind of slightly noirish investigative murder Yeah, thing. and it's got that sort of 70s vibe. Yeah, and... I thought the aesthetic was really similar, actually. Mm, yeah. Um, obviously, the, so the, there was an American remake, but the version that we're talking about is the 2009 Argentinian version, so you watch it with English subtitles, if, like me, you do not speak Spanish. <laughs> I really liked it. I found it very gripping, because I guess, unlike Zodiac, I had no prior knowledge of the story. I didn't even have a Ted Cruz meme to help me through. I was totally on the edge of the seat, and you know there there are scenes where like they're you know they're they're in in a suspect's house and they're like you know illegally stealing evidence and stuff and it was so tense Mm, yeah it's so tense so what did you think of like the stars because i thought the acting was really good in this Mm, really good i'm not sure what the actor's name is but the guy who plays benjamin the main the main guy yeah absolutely outstanding really really good and sort of quite a subtle Mm. performance from him and then his sort of um boss slash romantic interest in this film was called Irene and she's really really brilliant as well yeah I like how she's because she's quite skeptical isn't she Mm because he is a little bit prone to the idea that he can just like see it in the guy's eyes you know he knows that it's him because he can see it in his eyes and she's like I just don't buy that I don't think that this is uh, their main suspect for the murder of Liliana who's this guy called Gomez right and he is just you see him in these photographs and you see him in person and he's just like 100% 100% dodgy guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really dodgy. But as we know, like, that you can't arrest someone on the basis of dodginess. But what's really interesting about this film is that everyone's instincts are sort of right aren't they it's not actually about whether your instincts are right or wrong it's about i don't know i don't want to give too much away about this film because i think the surprises in it what Mm. makes it so good but did you see anything coming without talking about what happens no but then i'm not very good at that in films anyway (laughs) i generally don't and also i think it didn't help that i as i think we've discussed before i'm not great at watching films that i find a bit scary and was this one of those films yes i did find it a bit scary and i kind of was tensed up to the point where I probably wasn't noticing things I should have done. Well, I have the opposite thing, whereas when I'm tense about something, I'm like, why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? So I was watching it with my boyfriend who had seen it before, and I was like, oh my God, what's that in his hand? Why is he shutting the curtains? Oh my God, you know, like, <laughs> I was like convinced that I knew what was going on. Uh, and I think you can figure this one out if, mm. you, uh, if you're if you paying attention, but it doesn't make it any less crazy when you see the ending. And the ending is really, really like one of those sort of ethical problems that sort yeah. of sticks in your mind for a while afterwards. Oh yeah, no, we, uh, we won't say any more, but it is sort of haunting. I have still been thinking about it. Mm-hmm. 
So would you recommend it to our listeners? Absolutely. And I think you might have co-opted me onto your Zodiac search now. I want to watch more of these films. (laughs) They're so good, aren't they? It's like the platonic ideal of crime drama. Yeah. So if anyone has any recommendations in the spotlight Zodiac secret in in their their eyes vein, vein, do hit us up. We we like them (laughs) very much. So what about next week? So for next week, I am going to recommend you a TV show that is just, I think it's my number one favourite TV show. Oh, so no I pressure. know what's coming. It is 30 Rock. Oh my God, 30 Rock, the time's finally arrived. The time has finally arrived where I'm going to make you watch it. What if I hate it? <laughs> I think we might have to rethink. We might have to end the podcast. We might have to end the podcast <laughs> if you don't like it. <laughs> okay, well, I'm really excited. So I know that this is Tina Fey and Alec Baldwin's sort yeah. of... So this was Tina Fey's post-Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. thing that she did, really. And you can totally tell that that's where she's just come from because the whole concept is around the, the idea of a woman making a Saturday Night Live-style live comedy variety show every week. Right. So it's a show within a show. Tina Fey plays Liz Lemon, who is the showrunner and head writer for... Well, it's called it's called The Girly Show within uh. the program. <laughs> but it, it very quickly gets changed to be TGS. TGS, The Girly Show. And so, yeah, so there's a whole cast of actors and cast members for The Girly Show who are then the main cast members for 30 Rock, the kind of meta show. Alec Baldwin plays the NBC executive who, at the beginning of the series, he's just come in with a big wave of plaudits to sort out the television division. He's going to make it profitable and he's going to make it work. So her new boss, basically. So he's her new boss. And they have a really interesting and, to the end, platonic friendship, sort of colleague relationship. So that follows quite nicely on from the last couple of weeks of us looking for that ideal it friendship. It does. I do think that is, it is a really good example of that, because, to coin a phrase, it would just be icky if they got <laughs> together. And that is clear right from the beginning. They even joke with this a few times, like in later series. At one point, in order to try and win an argument with her, he, like, goes in for the kiss. And she's like, ew, what are you doing? We were fighting. <laughs> You know, they, they, they play with that idea. Okay, well, I can't wait to try it out and I'll, I'll try and not let the pressure get to me. Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from The New Statesman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Seriously. All you have to do is search SRSLY in iTunes or any other podcasting app you use. While you're there, it would be really great if you could leave us an iTunes review as it helps other people find the show. We also rely on you listeners for your recommendations. So if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and that they should be listening to it too. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.